celebrating Will Pilot Day, what kind of tablet to get, and what's the best SIM to use. And finally, what does identification terminated, frequency change approved actually mean? All that and more coming right up. So strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome to episode 77 of the Flight Training Australia podcast, the podcast all about flight training and flying in Australia and beyond. I'm your host Trent Robinson, thank you for joining me. Welcome to May, four months down, eight to go before Christmas. It certainly feels like it's going quickly. Speaking of Christmas and gifts, who's gone and got themselves an early present and got a uh, Bose A330? Well not an A330, that would be an Airbus, that would be pretty huge. An A30 headset. What do you think of it? Worth the price of the upgrade versus the A20? Maybe if you're sticking with the old DCs, I'd say probably definitely. Noise cancelling really should be treated as an essential item, I reckon. Uh, looking after your hearing, just so crucial. Um, so many pilots uh, I know have got uh, hearing damage, older pilots from back in the day where they just used the overhead speaker and the hand mic. I know I ask people about hand mics now and they hardly know what I'm talking about. So yeah, if you got one, let me know what you think. Happy World Pilots Day to you all. Probably should have done this last episode, but uh, it hadn't happened yet, so I thought I'll wait. So April 26th was a day to celebrate all aviators of all experience levels and the significance they play in our day-to-day lives. Interestingly, this day originated back in Turkey when the Turkish Airlines Pilots Association, or TALPA, uh, set out to recognise the inaugural flight of the first Turkish pilot, Mehmet Fize Evrenzev back in the early 1910s. In 2014, only just recently, it was adopted as a international day. So well done to you all. Celebrate the hard work, sacrifice, resilience and commitment of pilots everywhere around the world, keeping travellers and ourselves safe and performing vital services to the community. All right, so in today's episode, a few topics I've noticed coming up in social media and also a question from one of my listeners. So let's get into it. I talk about EFB or electronic flight bags a fair bit, but something I probably haven't really gone into is what kind of tablet to get. Now, the thing to remember here is EFB is here to stay. It is as useful and integral into the cockpit now as as glass cockpit starting to do. It's uh, opening up all sorts of information and data available at your fingertips, which is just a fantastic thing. Nothing worse than trying to um, fold and unfold a big clunky paper chart, put your pen through it and all those sort of problems that come with it. As important as having a backup is, let's not go down that path, but the electronic flight bag concept of using an iPad or a tablet is really, really great and very, very useful if used correctly, which I have gone into previously. So it's all improved now um, under a few regs, but namely the CASR Part 175, which is the regulation covering the managing of aeronautical information and distribution. And there's also an advisory circular, which is um, the AC or advisory circular 91-17. So I'll put the link to those in the description below, but make sure you go and have a bit of a read through those. There's some really good info. Now, what tablet to get is almost as controversial as what software to get. 
There are Apple and Android fans out there and passionate haters of both products. And this is essentially going to come down to the cost. The Android products are typically cheaper. Their functionality, both using the software and also how else you may choose to use it and, and what else you're going to get. But I think from my experience, observing comments online and looking at the level of uh, utilization for all the software platforms, Apple is the way to go. I just think the Android platform, again, I think it's just because there's probably less out there. The cost of software developed both just isn't really justified. And um, the Apple has far more functionality and uh, support out there. Now, I do love my iPad. It interacts with my Mac. It interacts with my Apple. I can switch between them really easily. Um, But again, it is personal preference. Some people want to still stick with Android. And if that's the case, there is Osramways and Avplan versions, um, but just not as functional as the iPad version. So totally up to you. I'll let you decide which way you want to go there. Um, Next, size. All right, so as per the advisory circular, the screen size and resolution, it it needs to demonstrate the ability to replace what you're trying to replace the paper version of. So for IFR pilots, instrument approach plates, they're about an A5 size, which is um, about the size of an iPad mini. Aeronautical charts, obviously, we're not going to have a tablet the size of a WAC or a TAC or an ERC or whatever, Um, but an iPad mini is 8.3 inches or 213 millimetres, and the recommended screen size is 200 millimeters. That's measured diagonally across like TVs. So the iPad mini really is the minimum size you should consider. After that, that comes down to personal preference. I myself, I use an iPad Air. I found the iPad Pro probably just a bit big. Um, you know, it's the, you wouldn't get the, the big version, the 12. You'd want an 11-inch uh, iPad Air is about 10 inch. I mean, one inch doesn't make a huge amount of difference, really. And if you're going to be using that iPad for other things like, you know, work and emails and doing documents, uh, I don't know, editing videos, whatever, um, that is something you want to consider there. But iPad, go through them, have a look at them in the short in the store, see what you think. I personally find the larger iPad a bit better for my eyes as well, getting older. All right, glasses, you've seen them appear. And it's just a little bit less zooming. The print's just a little bit bigger. I'm going to have to go to size 15 font soon. It's, it's terrible. I haven't zoomed in my phone yet, though, so it's not all over in doom, doom and gloom just yet. All right. Um, so, yeah, so have a think about that. A phone does not meet the size requirement, so I would be probably arguing that it would be okay as a backup um, if worse came to, sh- you know, push came to shove. It's probably getting a bit expensive to have two iPads, but I know a lot of people do. And eventually you upgrade. So all the software platforms do allow a backup function. So you essentially get two licenses for the price of one. So if you have a slightly older iPad, you could keep that as your backup as long as the battery's working. I've seen people with about a 30-minute battery life. That's not a backup, right? Completely useless. So make sure that you do have a backup. If that is the case, probably have it turned off in your flight bag so you can only turn it on when you need it. Um, but only use the phone as a backup, not your prime source. I do see people doing that and probably pushing the friendship a little bit. All right, 
so what's next? We've decided to go with an iPad mini or Air or Pro, and we now need to decide, do I want Wi-Fi or cellular? So I guess there's three things here. Just the base functionality of the iPad, if you want GPS tracking, and if you want to be able to access data, like your weather, no tans, um, your radar overlay, that sort of thing. So I personally have just got a Wi-Fi iPad Air. Uh, mine's a three. I'm sort of looking at uh, the five, maybe upgrading to that sometime soon or the Pro. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. But I don't have cellular. I don't have data. So when I've got my iPad in flight, I'm navigating just like a Pro. I don't have a little airplane tell me where I am. I have to look out the window and, and do it all hardcore, just like, like all you little PPL pilots learning. So there you go. I'm backing you. But I probably will go data on the next one. Two reasons. GPS tracking. Why not have the little airplane there? It's always good when you go for a bit of a sleep, wake up and look down. You can see where you are. No, just kidding. All right, but it is very useful for situational awareness. If you don't have a second GPS or moving map in your dash, it's really good just to see where you are in relation to, well, geographical features, but more for, so for airspace and restricted areas. Really great for getting around restricted areas accurately. So you don't have to go too far away and you're not going to uh, penetrate accidentally as well because you thought you were further away than you really were. But also from an IFR perspective, being able to get the latest weather, the TAFs, the weather overlay, um, I have to currently pair my phone to my iPad, which will put the weather information on top, but uh, it's obviously burning two batteries now. It's using my phone. It's uh, removing my backups. It's not ideal. I'm only doing short flights, so it's generally fine. All right, but having that GPS tracking will be good. Pairing your iPhone to your iPad will give you data, so you can then use your iPad to get TAFs and the weather radar, like I just said, but it will not give you GPS tracking. It just doesn't work that way. So you need either a Wi-Fi iPad and you can get thing like the Bad Elf uh, GPS uh, dongle, which is a third-party item that you can, it's basically a, a portable GPS. You stick it up on the dash and your iPad can link to that. Uh, but again, no data. Or you just get a full GPS data iPad. So the GPS function only comes with the cellular iPad. All right. So factor that in. If it comes down to cost, a basic Wi-Fi iPad will do you just fine. It worked for me all this time. Now, quick thing on cellular data then. So you need a SIM card for that. You get an additional SIM card to your phone SIM. And which one should you get? Well, I think everybody knows that the Telstra network has the widest, uh, broadest Australian coverage, but there is another option. Telstra is more expensive. So Boost, and I am a no affiliate. I don't get any kickbacks from this, but hey, Boost, if you're listening, feel free to reach out. Um, Boost uses the Telstra network and has access to all of it. There are other providers, um, I'm just trying to think of some, like Audi and a few others that have access to the Telstra network, but don't utilize all of it. So if you go to the relevant website for the data carrier you're considering, they will have a, a coverage map on there. You usually have to dig for it a little bit, but they do have a coverage map. And Boost uses all of the Telstra network where others 
will have access to the Telstra network, but it is reduced. Now, for most people, this will be more than enough. I know up here in the Territory, um, there's not a lot of mobile towers around. There's a lot of big gaps and voids, and this is something else to consider. It doesn't mean you're going to have constant data access, but if it's there, you'll get it. It's usually slow, um, but you can get your weather data and all that sort of stuff um, after waiting a little bit. So check those out. Have a think about what you uh, what your needs are, where you're at with your flying. Uh, it could be the company you're going for and, uh, and what they use, recommend, or require as well. And obviously, even though you make a decision, you might change companies, and that could change as well. So just factor all that into it. And uh, happy electronic flight bagging. All right. So the next uh, question that I have comes from one of my loyal listeners and you may remember Chloe from an episode a little while ago where I interviewed everybody about their uh, their flying and their careers, episode 69, and Chloe was a guest there. And she's going really well. She's uh, just about to hit 500 hours now, so really great news, trekking along beautifully. And she just asked me, what does the identification terminator frequency change approved mean? So just to uh, put some context to it, here in Darwin, there's a 25-mile boundary. She's wondering, do I have to squawk 1200? Um, I was taught to do it in training, but have been told in Darwin, you keep your code until you land, and then you change. I'm getting a bit confused. All right, really great question, Chloe, and one that I see happen all the time. Back in the day here we go, that once you left a control zone boundary, the idea was that you changed to 1200. Here we go. This is no longer the case. All right. When you get a transponder code from ATC, because you are either transiting or leaving controlled airspace, that code is yours for at least the next 12 hours. Codes will not get reused um, for quite some time. So when they say frequency change approved or identification terminated, what they're saying is you're leaving my area of control and operation. I no longer can uh, watch you and look after you. So I'm not. you're not identified with me anymore. So when you then go across to center or the next frequency, you need to be re-identified potentially by the next controller looking after you and whatever uh, level of control that is. All right, so it's simply an identification thing. Frequency change approved is not talking about the transponder code. The frequency change approved is talking about your NAV, uh, sorry, your COM VHF frequency that you're using. All right, so that's the frequency that you're changing, and that's just going from approach departures to radar center. All right, don't change the transponder code. You can keep that transponder code. This will essentially give you a form of flight following, uh, which is very big in the States. We don't tend to use it a whole lot um, because we just don't have the radar coverage like they do in America. But you can keep that code. And because they know who you are, they will be able to give you traffic information. So it's kind of a, well, it's the old school format of ADSB where you don't even need a code or to be identified previously. They can see your call sign on the radar screen of ADSB. So keep the code. Once you land at your destination aerodrome, you would then switch to your OCTA code if you're VFR 1200, if you're IFR 2000, and 
from there, you would get another code when you're re-entering airspace. All right, but you can keep that code for the flight. If you're going all the way around and it's on one flight plan, then if you went to 1200, you're probably just going to find they're going to give you that original code back again. If you're landing and you're on a two-stage plan, then that will trigger a new transponder code. All right, Chloe, hope that helps. Thank you, everyone, for your emails, messages, and support. I've had some great messages coming through. I love hearing all your driving stories uh, coming up to Darwin or going wherever it is to your first job. And I love hearing your messages that you are getting jobs as well. So I'm so glad that the podcast is helping you. Thank you for that feedback. Keeps me going, and um, it's just awesome to hear that the industry is going well. All right, that is it. So if you have a question, you can email me on info at trentrobinsonaviation.com.au. Simply put uh, whatever you want to know, really, in the subject line and give me your details. I'll either answer it in a podcast episode or direct. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Trent Robinson Aviation. And, uh, of course, on Patreon as well if you want to support me there. All the links are in the episode description. All right, guys, have a fantastic week. Be safe. Blue skies. And remember the golden rule, aviate, navigate, communicate. Cheers, everyone. Mm -hmm.